Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. Welcome to Philadelphia, where we're recording in person for fun. It's nuts. I was like, what are you doing on Sunday? Do you want to let me come over <laughs> and take over your day? And it's great. Olivia lives in New York. I live in Philadelphia. It's a not too bad train ride. Right? Really nice train yeah. ride. And me being in Philadelphia is kind of new. So there's like fun places that we're going to explore. It's going to be really, really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I just had my Google Maps opened alongside my links this week, making sure we get some fun places in for the next three hours while I'm here. <laughs> but not to mention, we also we were like talking and prepping for our upcoming workshop with Alini. So we were doing some practice for that, which was really fun. If you haven't, if you haven't looked that up and found tickets yet, you should snag them while they're available. She has so many interesting little tips and tricks on how to basically just draw vector letters better yeah. in, in Illustrator. We got a nice preview of it, and I think there's going to be some pretty mind-blowing tools being shown, new concepts that even during a quick preview of the workshop, I was like, I'm already learning things. So we all don't even know how excited I am, so you all know I'm very excited about <laughs> it. But make sure you know you sign up. If you can't make it live, you can always get those recordings, which I think with a topic that's so technical are going to be super invaluable to just watch and rewatch after the workshop. Yeah, so we have that coming up, which is really fun. That is, what, on August 20th and 21st? So time is running out. That's pretty soon. That's what, oh my gosh. It'll be in one day yeah. once this. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> so you should definitely grab the tickets, even if you can't make it, so you can get the recording. The link is in the newsletter, per usual. And we have a pretty fun nerd alert mm. this week. We have a couple cool links to share, and then a really fun nerd alert that was all you and Steph's idea. Nerd alert? is going to be wild. The title of this episode gives it away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are not a secret. We are talking about Dolly, that new AI that translates text into images, and we even made the artwork Dolly themed, which we spent far too long working on before this recording. What was the text prompt, you may ask? You're going to have to wait until the nerd alert to find <laughs> out. <laughs> Fun stuff, fun stuff. Uh, but also like an interesting dive into a lot of people being worried that this will replace designers and illustrators. And I think you're going to have some interesting insights on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm fairly optimistic, but I understand why we're all kind of treading with caution. But I'll give kind of my take and a few other hot takes on the whole subject, even though we are like a month late on the Dolly thing. But we had summer break, so that's it's okay. Fine. To be fair, I just got my invite. That's so. true. That's and true. I am less worried about the consequences to the industry and more worried about whether I can get a good <laughs> Victorian painting of my cat. <laughs> that's what's important to me. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun so far. So we got a few links to share that are non-Dolly related that I'm super excited to talk about. The first one up this week is genderless design is a myth. How to deconstruct the gender binary in design and make space for gender fluidity by August Tang. I'm actually not sure how I came across this article, but I think the headline certainly reeled me in. I'm always thinking about how we make design a more democratized place and how we design for more audiences involved. And I'm always curious, like how we're going to evolve gender design and that through typography and all sorts of stuff. 
So I think it's interesting. The article starts by saying it's thinking about design less in this binary view of masculine and feminine and more about gender fluidity and the concept that it's not just universal design. Universal design started in the architecture realm, which was like about designing for people regardless of ability, age or status. But there really is no neutrality in graphic design. And I think that's a really good point that they make in this article. They say that the international typographic style, so like Helvetica, accidents, grotesques, lots of people came to think of that like, oh, that is neutral. That's super objective. There was a whole documentary about it. But if you really look into the history of Swiss design, it's not necessarily objective. Design systems with typograph the Swiss typographic style were originally used to serve privileged people, white people, men, cisgender, wealthy. And that was considered neutral at the time, but it didn't necessarily include people from different classes, from different races. Now, when we look at our history, we realize that the Swiss typographic style actually doesn't feel global at all. It's all about certain perfections within graphic design and doesn't really make room for things that live in between this very, very clean aesthetic. So I think that as basis for the article was really interesting. They talked about how oftentimes gender neutral fashion is just menswear that's marketed towards women and men. Mm. And even that stance on neutrality is not based completely in neutrality. So I think that was like the first time I heard that. They show different examples of graphic design that comes off as feminine, that comes off as masculine. There's all these different subtexts within visual graphic design that isn't necessarily being written on the walls. But when we see something light pink with a really ornamental typeface, already that feels like feminine to us. So how do we start breaking down the barriers? And, you know, they don't give like a total solution, but I think they give this really good framework for how we can take this whole idea into a corporate setting. So it's like asking about really critically the typography, where is the type inspired from? Who's making it? What's the meaning behind the color palette? How do we do a photographic illustration style that goes beyond what people are typically used to. And also understanding that not all corporate clients are going to be open to like breaking down and disregarding their target demographic. But how do we kind of tweak things to feel less based in gender, which I think is very interesting. Lots of interesting thoughts I had from it. Yes, from this, I feel like I mostly got good examples of what not to do and not, not a lot of good example of what to do. I feel like there is an example of what to do and it really didn't resonate with me as as very fluid it was just less strict mm-hmm. I, well i guess when you say fluid versus less strict those are kind of related but it also i don't know it was it was it was interesting because that's also like their example here is a pretty specific style of experimentation and the things that they are using as design elements I don't know. It comes off with its own style, which maybe is a little bit more fluid than the examples of what they told not to do and the kind of degendering examples that are basically masculine inherently, right? Yeah. Um, So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I like the discussion of it. And I wish that we maybe had more examples, not necessarily from this article. Maybe it's a thing we just keep looking into. Yeah, for sure. The example they give in this is like a zine that the writer of the article made. Um, And yeah, definitely has that like undesigned look. And the color scheme is a rainbow gradient. But I want to see, it definitely makes me want to look into other brands that feel gender neutral. And it's not just the fact that they're selling, you know, menswear as a gender neutral option. Like it's something where 
it feels all encompassing. And I think there are brands out there that are already doing that. I know there's this one brand, there's this like lingerie brand in Bushwick that I've looked up before the Rack Shack and they have all range of genders wearing their clothing, tight, loose. And I know there's things out there that exist, but I think this is like a good lens to be like thinking critically about maybe more popular brands like Nike and Adidas and how they show up for men versus women. Mm, that's an interesting point. You know? This actually relates to something I wanted to talk about you not even related to <laughs> the league or the, or the podcast, which is that I just finished watching Our Flag Means Death. Have you watched that? No, but I have friends that have watched it. Oh, you have to watch it. It is fascinating and kind of related to this because if you don't know what it is, it's like a comedy sort of parody time period show about pirates and pirates historically kind of have this extremely masculine like toxic masculine vibe to it mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and i was watching an analysis of the show after i finished the show because the show is just great and it's, in some ways it was like vaguely queer oriented in some mm. ways it was like very transparent Mm. absolutely gay and queer and in kind of a subversive way, mm -hmm. especially considering it was a comedy, but it was also just like very heartful in the way that they did Interesting. it. Interesting, yeah. And I was watching kind of an analysis about it and, and making the point that the idea that pirates is such a masculine thing is coming from a history that is very biased, mm. where pirates historically were like a part of the population that often couldn't read and write. And so they couldn't really document their own experiences often. Wow. And so a lot of the documented experiences are from people who hated pirates and wanted to paint them in a bad light. Oh, that's so they were interesting. Like criminals, when a lot of them weren't always criminals too. It was just people who wanted to live differently <laughs> than normal, like English colonized yeah. society. I never would have thought about that. This is like gonna recolor my whole day. Yeah, well, <laughs> But, you know, I guess to like tie it back, like it was really interesting because it was taking this extremely masculine kind of historic thing, obviously adding in some comedy, but also adding in a lot of drama in some ways, just sort of adding in this level of queer acceptance and not discussing it in some ways mm. as if it's just like. That is how it is. That's totally normal. And why would it be any different? And that was really cool. Yeah, no, it's definitely happening a lot more in mass media. Not like happening a lot necessarily, but that whole idea of like bringing queerness into a show, but then also not making a big deal of it is a big basis of Shit's Creek. I don't know if you've watched mm, yeah, Shit's Creek. Bit. Yeah, so the whole idea that there's a few queer characters, like most of them are just like accepted and they don't have to really talk about coming out of the closet or X, Y, and Z because it feels like just like a normal part of that little town and that safe space. But that's bringing a pirate lens on it. It's extra fun. And that's Taika YTT show, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no wonder it's amazing. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, and also Reese Darby, who I think is really, he's amazing. He's oh. like the main character. He was... One of the three main characters in Flight of the Concords. Oh, okay. Longtime favorite. Familiar, but haven't watched. But, you know, just interesting <laughs> because it's more about queer straight than particular genders, but I feel like they're kind of tied in in a way. Yeah, yeah. No. All right, that's enough of the tangent. I know. But good stuff. Go good watch stuff. it. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, our second read came from you, Micah, but I'll kick us off. It's Designing in the Open, parentheses, source. It's from Microsoft Design. They have open sourced their emoji library, or they designed it in an open source way. Wow, I'm already starting off terrible with this. <laughs> but they refreshed their entire emoji library 
And yes, you can open source most of our emoji library in Figma and on GitHub. This emoji library, besides being open source, is very gradient heavy, is what <laughs> I got to say. Everything looks like it's made out of a soft plastic and is colored with very saturated colors. It's like clay. Yeah. Like clay textures. Yeah. But what's interesting, they, they at least demonstrate in this article that they made a bunch of different variations where the most <laughs> Steve Jobs lickable is, <laughs> is the clay version, but they also have like a slightly diminished one and then a flat version and then an outlined version, which mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. Remind us the lickable comment. What is the Steve oh. Jobs lickable <laughs> phrase? That was, that was just when they were designing OS X for the first time, Steve Jobs wanted it to stand out from all of the other flat graphics that existed in, in other operating systems. So he was like, I want it to be lickable, which is how it turned into their aqua design system, which turned into very 3D and skeuomorphic. That's yeah. where all that came from, lickable. Yeah, it's interesting. This came up in the Dolly article I was reading, one of the many. But I think it's interesting that this very three-dimensional rendered illustration style that we're seeing on all these high-tech companies has come out of this subconscious way for a tech company to show they have wealth. So, Micah, we talked about this a while ago, but back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, all these websites had really beautiful photography on their splash pages. Mm. It was really common because it was a way to show, like, I can spend money on photography even on the web. And then Unsplash came around in the 2010s, which gave everyone access to high-end photography, high-resolution photos. And then we switched to this like very like 2D illustration style um, that felt more bespoke than you know just stock imagery, bright colors, stuff like that. And I think that the reason why the 3D design trend looks is popping up with all these companies that are well-funded is because it's a way to show, hey, we have like the resources to spend on 3D design and 3D illustrations, even if it's just for internal projects. That's a pretty good point. I didn't really think about it like that, but that definitely makes sense. I mean, certainly tangential to what this project's about, but I just think it's interesting when you even mention that they have different variations on their emojis. I feel like there's not many scenarios I want like a 3D claymated happy face. There's probably more scenarios I want a nice 2D one. I mean, that's where some of the controversy came from before I even saw that they had quote unquote open sourced this. I'm a little unsure if I consider this really open sourced. But before any of that, I heard people complaining about this for that reason of like, Suddenly, you know, Microsoft Teams chat had these goofy things and like corporate mm. America was trying to be like, no, oh, I was just trying to send like a happy, nice face to say, oh, that is pleasant. Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, I'm a goofball, <laughs> you know? And oh so a lot God. of people were like annoyed that it switched out that way. I mean, even in this article, they talk about how work from home forced a lot of people to have their home selves on while they're at work, which was never really the case when you were working in an office. But they say that's why they doubled down on things like live reactions in teams and like new colors and stickers. So I think it's hilarious that you mentioned just like the total double-edged sword of people being like, no, don't give me the goofy right. fun stuff. I'm trying to be my work self at work. I mean, also like in a real sense, it's a weird push and pull dynamic of Microsoft being this giant corporation trying to connect with the younger generation yeah. and the cool kids and the cool kids being like, yo, what are you doing? That's not what we needed. We didn't ask for this. What the heck? Yeah. And at the same time, that is part of how these trends 
come to be is the big corporations are like, oh, this is a cool mini trend. We're going to hop on it. And then it becomes the de facto standard. Yeah. And then some other new trend comes out. Yeah. So definitely something to sit on and uh, marinate with. I love what Steph said. I think when we sent this around, she was like, these emojis remind me of a balloon I would find in like a really cheap vape shop somewhere. <laughs> so over the top. Yeah. I was like, oof, yeah. It's a lot. Love it or hate it. It is open sourced. <laughs> I mean, well, that's the other thing is I, I don't I don't want to knock it because you can download it. You can make your own forks of it and adjust it. I haven't read a lot of the detail of like what the actual licenses i guess oh i guess it's an mit license which is a pretty standard open source license and so in those ways it is absolutely open source but also if you look through the github there's like pngs of the clay ones which you can't do anything with a png other than use it (laughs) right yeah and there's svgs of the other ones which you know an svg is editable but it's also like i don't know there's not a ton of where did this come from how do we make something like it you know like it's just kind of there and available for you to fork and change if you want yeah so it's it is open source but it's kind of i don't know to me with a little bit of an asterisk i mean there's i we can move on from this topic but there even is an asterisk they weren't able to open source the whole thing they said that clippy isn't included which i was like what's clippy but i think oh. that's the paperclip guy right yeah yeah i guess i missed that part clippy isn't included and i think they couldn't include country flags, and a technologist emoji. That's a little surprising. I wonder what the detail is behind that. Other open source things have flags, so that's weird. I don't know. They said they can't open source trademarks. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I would love to hear more about what they couldn't open source. That's interesting. Right? Let's talk to the Microsoft lawyers. Yeah. Over there. All right. It's time. It's time for the Nerd Alert. Nice one. Thanks. I'm going to have you kick it off. Oh. What was the text prompt that we gave to generate our <laughs> album cover today? We did go through a, a few fun ideas until we landed on this one, which was a detailed Rembrandt-style painting of an antique Victorian study filled with art about typography with a MacBook Air sitting on a desk showing someone drawing a font. Yeah. It's so pretty impressive. Pretty, pretty vague. Pretty vague. Not very specific at all. Yeah. We did go through a couple iterations to get that specific. Maybe maybe two, there though, was, right? There was like, originally a fireplace, which I made us leave behind because it was too fireplace-oriented, not yeah. enough font-oriented. I liked the fireplace. There is kind of still a fireplace in the background, but like you'd <laughs> yeah. hoped it's diminished. Yeah. I think the composition's actually really nice the longer I look at this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. That was made with Dolly 2. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's what they called it. Um, okay. My- from, from OpenAI, basically, you know, the, the one that everybody is talking about. Whereas, I mean, I guess we, we're about to get into it, right? Yeah, so. we are about to get into it. It's a good setup. So, you know, some people might already know what Dolly is, but like, I'm just going to start from the basics. What is Dolly? It's a technology that will basically generate digital images based off of natural language descriptions. So like, literally what Micah just said, like a Renaissance style painting, it's like literally how someone speaks, can take that put it into its system and output like a pretty, really impressive image off of that sort of stuff. So Dolly was first introduced in 2021 
But Dolly 2, which is like what's getting everyone up in arms, is a much more powerful version of it. And that was introduced in April 2022. And that has the power to combine concepts, attributes, and styles. So that's the whole idea of saying, you know, I want a laptop on a desk in the style of Van Gogh, in the style of Monet, in, you know, a cyberpunk style. It really doesn't end. It's kind of insane. Um, So that's what really came out with Dolly 2. And it was really like flooring a lot of people as far as the images being created. The software's name is also a fun story. Portmanteau between the animated Pixar character Wally and the Spanish realist artist Salvador Dali. Very fun. <laughs> Mic drop. Okay. <laughs> so we have a couple links in the newsletter this week. One of them I'll kind of be walking through. It's a really great link detailing why we shouldn't be worried about Dolly taking over all our creative jobs because it is a super powerful tool. The other one is crayon.com and that was used with similar Dolly technology. It's a much more lo-fi version of Dolly basically. And that's the one that's open to everybody right now. It's open source. Dolly 2 is a little bit gatekept behind open AI. And so you have to get an invitation or be accepted to join the Dolly 2 software as Micah has, because he's my favorite design celebrity. (laughs) (laughs) But I definitely encourage if you want to see what this software is like, get like a basic understanding, go to crayon.com. Links in the newsletter this week. It's C-R-A-I-Y-O-N.com. Super fun. And with that, I'll kind of get into some of the whole concept behind Dolly and why people are worried and if people should worry and if it's really no big deal. But basically, Dolly's freaking a lot of people out because in its simplest terms, it can really be a tool that can fill in the gap between concept and execution. All of the years studying the craft of making art, whether that's digital art or composition and different mediums and paintings and crayons or whatever... All of that mastery that goes behind a human brain is being outputted by this tool. So it's really scary thing for illustrators who are people that design within certain styles and are depicting an image of something. Pretty self-explanatory why this is scary for some designers. But I think like in general, I've thought a lot about it and have been trying to read a lot about it too. For illustrators... Text and image don't really exist in isolation. I think when actual artists or people that are making images are tasked to create an image that goes alongside maybe text for an article or a book cover, it's not ever as simple as like, here's one concept and I'm going to do it. There's usually things that you have to think about the text, you have to think about the image. They're not working in isolation. It's not as binary as kind of putting in an input and receiving an output. Maybe and sometimes there is, maybe when it's a really quick project or you have like one day to solve a thing and an art director gives you a prompt, that's possible. And I understand why that's worrying. But the point of view is really what the illustrator brings and what artists bring, especially in this day and age. It's not necessarily just craft and execution Mm -hmm. of certain styles. And in any artwork or illustration, think about like a magazine and there's maybe a beautiful illustration accompanying an article. Sometimes the illustration can pull out things that isn't necessarily said in the text. And similarly, Dolly doesn't understand quite as much nuance as we understand. In the Ion Design article that I shared, there's this hilarious output of Dolly Mini, and the text prompt was men growing balls, as in like the sexist fucking idiom of men growing balls. What comes out is a bunch of corporate men that look like they were taken from stock photos and they're like playing with balloons <laughs> and it's yeah. really silly and also just like in a very simple way shows that like they're 
isn't necessarily going to be just literal transactions between like a person and the machine. Something I've seen that's really interesting with Dolly is that there was, so typically in graphic design, there are like mock-ups for brand identities. Sometimes you see a brand identity project and there's beautiful shots of business cards. And that's usually someone using a photo of a blank business card and inserting their design. But there has been a designer that will be like, I want blank business cards underwater with X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden you have like a blank canvas to start working on. So I think for quick iterations that maybe like designers can build off of, I can see there being some really powerful outputs from there. I think also like small businesses that don't have resources to certain artists or designers, maybe that's an ability for them to kind of upgrade some design without having to buy stock photos of everything if they want a very simple image. Or maybe it's even like ATMs replace bank tellers and computers replace some graphic designers. I think it also is like, is it the next natural evolution? Maybe it does take some jobs off of people that are just using design as a job to produce things that are more production designers than designers that are involved with concept. I think it's like very much could be a toolbox sort of thing mm. in a creative toolbox. I think isn't necessarily good or bad. The internet itself, it exists and people can use it for good. Things were bad. I mean, there's lots of concerns over Dolly. Me and Micah, we were trying to like upload my face into it. And it said they're not uploading photorealistic faces because there's a lot of bias built into Dolly at the moment. The software itself takes from images online, which we can imagine there's some pretty negative stereotypes that I can perpetuate in that way is not yet smarter than most of us. And people are very wary of where that's going to go. I think people are also worried about copyright. Who owns these images? Yeah. We don't really know because, you know, it's really, it's built by other people's images. And, you know, other artists are concerned. Are my images just going to be part of a bank for artificial intelligence to learn how to recreate my style and then output it for someone else that hasn't crafted it? There are concerns. There's excitement. There's a lot of fun happening in it right now. <laughs> I think is where I stand. Like, I think it could take jobs. But I don't think graphic designers or illustrators are just not going to exist in like 20 years. Unless like the world ends. I don't even know that I believe it can take jobs. Really? I mean, I don't know. You gave one example there of like ATMs replaced bank tellers. Yeah. Bank tellers still exist though. Yeah. Some people still use bank tellers. There's less bank tellers. I mean, that's okay. Statistically, <laughs> I'm sure that's probably true. Okay, fine. Okay. I totally agree that I think it's a toolkit thing yeah. rather than a replacement thing. Yeah. And it's so easy to imagine. So like, there's so many other scenarios with code. There's like no code tools next to build it yourself. Like you mm -hmm. still, some people still need to hire an agency to build a whole giant thing. Yeah. It just opens it up to more people. And in a way, I think it is more a replacement for stock images that you right? mentioned. That's what I see a lot too. Like I know you can make these images artful by putting them into Dolly, but I can't tell you how many hours I've wasted doing image searches at, you know, agencies where they need someone to just like look for abundant photos of mac and cheese that can be placed <laughs> on a packaging design. And then I'll spend like half a day looking at photos of mac and cheese and is it the mac and cheese the right color is it like is there a shell that looks off like is there a trademark on top of it whereas like if i had dolly and i need to make a quick mock-up of a mac and cheese container i 
feel like it would save me hours. See, that's who I'm sure is going to take advantage of this is the the stock site search mm. bar. They're, you're already searching for those things. Yeah. And it's already showing you like, here's some free stock stuff. Here's some paid stock stuff if you want like a little nicer quality. And then the alternative is like if you want something totally unique. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you're already searching for that term. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure people were like, is stock photography going to take the jobs of photographers? Right. Like it might have taken some jobs. I cannot confirm. I know. I, know. I don't have any statistics <laughs> about that. It seems like sure, I suppose, but in a dangerous way, I don't think so. Yeah. I think if it's embraced in the right ways, like it could actually really help a lot of designers. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe that's my stance. It's a natural evolution thing. I'm curious if there's going to be like people that are really, really good at concepting and just get hired to do Dolly prompts. That's an interesting point. I, don't know. I feel like I've seen some people intentionally only making art with AI already, which oh. is different than like being a designer or an illustrator who's core toolkit is AI. That's slightly different. Yeah. But I definitely have seen some really fascinating artists who are like, I, I only use AI for this. There's something to be said. I think Dolly doesn't make the same image more than once at the oh. moment. So I think there is some NFTers that are like, oh, the scarcity. Oh, well, <laughs> all right. Yeah. I roll. I'm I know. I, I, I had to. Um, that but, makes sense, yeah. though, for sure. I was telling you earlier, I was talking to a friend and she has a friend that does illustration and art and the friend will use Dolly to help ideate some different compositions yeah. for an image, which I think is actually really interesting. And I noticed that when we were using Dolly earlier, it'll give you like a few different takes of the same concept. I follow, I'm just gonna do a shout out since we're talking. There's a really great Twitter account I started following that if this interests you and you also could appreciate humor, <laughs> What's it called? I'm looking it up right now. It's called Weird Dolly. And it's just Weird Dolly mini generations. And the latest one, oh my God. <laughs> I'm not going to share the latest one. This doesn't seem appropriate. But the Mar-a-Lago FBI raid Lego set. Oh my gosh. Is amazing. That is fantastic. Yeah. And that's used with crayon.com. So like the Dolly mini. So you could do some really hilarious image making, even with the lo-fi version that I definitely encourage you all to do after this <laughs> wait so that was one of the links that we shared this week right is that lo-fi crayon yes version because it's just fun and play around with it and you can decide for yourself if you're you think this is scary or exciting yeah or both fun idea though yeah well i'm glad we talked about this i wasn't sure if we were because it was such a in vogue in the summer and now everyone's you know moved past it have they i don't know i don't Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's the weekly typographic, I guess. That's We're talking what we got. about I'm talking about crazy design trends and shit. Yeah. And make sure to grab that ticket to the workshop tomorrow if you want to come in person. Not in person. Virtually. Right. <laughs> live. That's what we have to offer. Or get the recordings. Very excited about what Alini's gonna teach. And our first workshop of the season three of the weekly typographic. Yeah. That's how we keep time now. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in as always. And we shall see you next week with more cool, random, great design type stuff. Do 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 do